Welcome to STO Building Conversations, a construction podcast powered by the STO Building Group. On today's episode, Rob Leon, Executive Vice President of STO's Global Services Group, speaks with Tom Scarangello, Executive Chairman of Thornton Tomasetti, and Jim Donahue, Executive Chairman of STO Building Group about the origin of the AEC Angels Group and how they're driving innovation from within the industry. This episode is part one of our interview with Tom and Jim. Today, we are joined by Tom Scarangello, Chairman of Thornton Tomasetti and Jim Donahue, Executive Chairman of STO Building Group. And the topic of conversation today is innovation and the AEC Angels. So just gentlemen, uh, just starting off, uh, would you mind giving us a little introduction to yourselves and your companies and how long you've been in the business? Go ahead, Tom. So uh, I've been in the business over 40 years. Our firm has been around for 70, uh, 70 plus. We just had our anniversary about a year ago, uh, back in the pre-COVID days where we were all able to get together and have a big celebration. Looking forward to that happening again. And we are an employee-owned international team of ingenious engineers, everything from architects, scientists, and support professionals who evaluate and solve our clients' challenges throughout the life cycle of their assets. And those assets could be anything from buildings to stadiums to submarines to hardsteads. We're almost 1,500 people, and we're in more than 50 offices around the world. Great. Thanks, Tom. And Jim? So I've been with Structure Tone my whole career. Started in 1989 full-time out of college, and today I'm executive chairman. I kind of grew up through the ranks in Structure Tone through each of the operations and estimating and got into some of our national stuff as well. I spent time on the road at Structure Tone, two and a half years, in fact, in our Florida, Texas, and in one of our overseas projects. So got a good training program inside Structure Tone before getting to the executive suite. Um, So my whole industry uh, experiences at Structure Tone, it's been great. Uh, We have really diversified the company and today there's a lot to talk about as far as innovation. So that's my background. Great. Thank you. So our industry has been labeled as slow to adopt new technologies and innovation, but innovation is clearly a passion of each of you, but also embedded in each company. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what sparked your desire to push for more innovative and efficient processes in respect to those companies? And Tom, we can start with you. Sure. Uh, as I said, we're over 70 years old as a company and no company lasts or thrives for that long without innovating. But about 10 years ago, as we were expanding both geographically and and in our service line, we started to think about what was the big goal that we could unify our employees around and excite them and really drive the company forward. We landed on to be the global driver of change and innovation in our industry. And I think the key word in that statement is driver. What was clear was we were always both an adopter and we would react to innovation and try to be an early adopter, but we weren't really driving it, I would say, in the way that, and and I would say our industry has never really been a driver of innovation. You know, if you look at things like BIM, the aviation industry was using building information modeling in the 90s, early 90s to mid 90s. And, you know, we woke up to it in the mid 2000s, like we had discovered something. You know, I think throughout the industry, you've seen that it's not just us. You know, we always reference a Harvard Business Review ranking where the construction industry was ranked 40th of 40 industries in adopting innovation. And that was only back in 2013 or 2014. So what we looked at was when we recognized the difference between being an early adopter versus a driver, we started to build an ecosystem that would allow that to happen. 
And so we created a group within Thorne Thomas Eddy, an incubator called CORE, in which we have people who are dedicated to taking the best ideas at Thornton Thomas Eddy and moving them forward in the categories of both incremental innovation, adjacent and blue sky innovation. We created a twin and outside accelerator so that we could take the IP that was trapped or, or not being able to have the support it would need if it was something outside of our sweet spot that we could take it outside the firm. And then we started to recognize the need to broaden our exposure beyond just our own ecosystem. Uh, and that's where we started to talk to firms like the STL Group about how do we do this as an industry, and, and we'll get into it later, but you know that's kind of where AEC Angels came from, this idea of getting outside our own space in an industry that's driven by collaboration, but also constrained by collaboration. That's the third leg of the stool, at least in our approach to innovation, that's key. It, it's making sure that the whole industry is engaged, not just our individual firm. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. And I think that really goes to the core of some of our values here at STO Building Group too, is that we have been, I would say, a, a very innovative company. And I've been here since 1994. So I've been here for a long, long time and seen the changes. But it's really over the last probably about three years, Jim, that we've really started putting structure to the innovation process. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Sure, Rob. Um, yeah, in the last few years, we've realized there's a need to organize ourselves internally and to position ourselves correctly so that our national clients and our large partners and national partners that we work with, like Thornton Tomasetti, view us as a value-added team member, we knew we had to start making bigger and more strategic investments. And, and, and to do so, we had to be really strategic in selecting those investments and incorporating a lot more input in, internal to us, not only at the senior executive level, but at all ranks throughout the company. So we had to really organize. And we've got quite a few groups internally. We've got our emerging leader group. Rob, as you know, is one of our upcoming groups in the organization. Our future leaders are in that group. And it starts with our RPE program, in fact, where we you know, really try to work hard at training our staff and don't just let them grow in the field or in the office and let time be their guide as far as their training. We really try to accelerate training. We believe in experiential training and really bringing our staff to some of the great training centers. Their leadership is one of those places where we've spent a lot of time up at West Point having our staff be exposed to some of the great ideas from our military as far as leadership goes. But in those training sessions and in all of those interactions, we gather ideas. And now we have a structure internal to take those ideas and bring them into a very focused group, whether it's the Center of Excellence and Innovation for Operations or Center of Excellence Innovation for Estimating or for Business Development. We have three of them. Those groups are leaders in all their respective disciplines throughout our company. And they not only talk about best practices and knowledge sharing, but they consider all those great ideas that are circulating in from our training programs. And it's a good structure. It makes its way up to the top. We have an innovation council. And in that council, we have really the leaders of our company, including Bob Mullen, our CEO, and Greg Dunkel, our CAO. We're going to add to our executive ranks in innovation executive. Today, it's a handful of us that represent that at STO, but by next year this time, there'll be another executive in our group spearheading our innovation council. We've also decided it was important to go outside ourselves and not just be talking to ourselves like in an echo chamber. So the AEC Angel Group, which we'll talk more about shortly, is one of our many efforts to uh, be out in the market in a meaningful way, partnering and getting outside the box and not just being a contractor and understanding the world around us a lot better. Yeah, I think that's great. And, you know, I think one of the things that from talking to the two of you on several occasions and just you know being involved in the in the AC Angels group and our innovation group internally the theme that i hear you know consistently is that we need to do this from within the industry not outside disruptors and we also need to do it collaboratively and i think that's what really drove 
the partnership of AEC Angels. So I'm going to read the, the AC Angels mission statement because I think it says a lot to how the group was put together. And then I think we can go into the vision of the two of you of how it started and how it can grow. So the mission statement is to leverage our collective complementary knowledge, investing in best of class AEC sector technologies to help transform the industry while driving exposure to leading industry technologies and striving to provide long-term returns over a five to seven year horizon. So knowing the, the, the story behind that a bit, uh, maybe you can talk about, it's not only about the investment, the dollar, the check that you're writing, it's also about the investment in the technology of how do we incorporate it, test it within our companies, but then also improve it for the greater good of the industry. So this is not meant to be just within Thorne Tomasetti, Structure Tone, Cisco Hennessy Shop. This is the group that wants to really drive change throughout the industry from within the industry. So Tom, maybe you can talk a bit about who are the AEC Angels and where did the idea come from? Sure. Well, you just mentioned the partners, Siskin Hennessy Shop, uh, STL Group, and Thornton Tomasetti. And, and again, we have aspirations to broaden that group. But as you said, it's not about being this siloed group. It's just the opposite. The strength of our industry is its, its ability to collaborate. It's also the challenge of our industry and, that, and the reason why, in many ways, innovation has been slow to take root because it does everything requires a consensus and collaboration to move forward. But what we've seen in the last decade, in the last five years especially, the outside world has been looking with a laser focus now on our industry. And why? Because they see huge opportunities to both innovate and to streamline our process. There's no question that the construction industry is an industry that, like I said earlier, it's ripe for disruption and innovation. And, you know, I use construction industry. Sometimes people say, hey, Tom, your firm, you know, you have architects, engineers, and scientists. But I always say that, you know, we're in the business of, of wanting to see whatever we work on get built. So that's the industry we're in, right, where if it didn't get built, we'd just be mathematicians and artists. We pride ourselves in saying at the end of the day, whatever we work on comes to fruition. And so... We're part of an industry that actually requires collaboration and needs collaboration to move forward. So the genesis in particular for me, for the AEC Angels, was something that came far, a little bit far afield coming out of our twin accelerator. We spun out a company about five years ago when we merged with Widelinger that has uh, become a company called OnScale. And it's actually in the computer-aided engineering's cloud-based solution space and, and it's focused, believe it or not, on kind of multi-physics analysis of things like 5G chips and MEMS and other things like that. Uh, and again, it was I talked about the three levels of innovation. That, there was kind of the blue sky, an area in which we were working. We developed a tool that was outside our space, so we spun it out and it's moving forward. But in its early days where we were looking for seed investment, our CEO of OnScale came to us and said there was a group called the Band of Angels that wanted to invest in OnScale. And, you know, told us what the investment was and the terms. And I was like, wow, that's, those are pretty nice terms. Why are we giving them these terms? And they said, well, if Band of Angels invests in this technology, follow-on money will come because there are 300 or more people in Silicon Valley who've all had success. They've all had exits over the last 30 years. They vet on a regular basis technology. And because they're the experts, people really look to them as kind of a, a pre-vetting of what's the best technology. I didn't know about it. We said, sure. Uh, less than a year later, we had significant investment by Intel Capital and Gradient Ventures, which is Google's investment arm. And OnScale has kind of been off to the races ever since. So, you know, as I thought about that and as I talked to people like Jim and others in our group, we started to think of, you know, 
Why aren't we those people? Silicon Valley is a very siloed area in and of itself. Our industry is, you know, all over the world. But starting with a group of ours in New York and, and in the U.S. in particular, we know what can work and what can't work. We know, you know, what the barriers are. And just as importantly, because of the, the focus on our industry, if we don't do it, if we don't disrupt our, our own industry in a positive way, we're going to be disrupted from the outside. And none of us want that to happen because we want to be in charge of our future, not have somebody come and disrupt us. And so that's where kind of the genesis of the idea started. And then the group got together and really flushed it out in a way that I think is pretty exciting and, and I think is going to you know expand and help us drive our industry from the inside out versus from the outside in. Love it. That's great. And and Jim, being internal here at STO Building Group, I, I kind of get to see the wheels in motion and the gears in motion. And, you know, we pulled together a small group. Greg Dunkel and I led a small group, went to Oxford University. We did a, you know, co-innovation sessions with Cisco and Gensler and the like. And from my point of view, I've always seen the innovative process happening, not just by yourself personally as, a, as an innovator, but also as an organization, we've always been allowed to and pushed to actually take those innovative steps, those entrepreneurial steps to, to better the organization and to, and to better our ties within the industry for our partners. So the, the change happened, structure tone to STO Building Group, our footprint partnerships, mergers, acquisitions. Can you talk a bit about how that fueled the desire and I guess the momentum for the innovation process within STO Building Group? Sure. Rob, as you said, mergers and acquisitions have accelerated our growth and our footprint. And just to step back for a moment, even prior to the accelerated growth, you know, we're growing on average about 7% a year over 25 years, which is a nice steady growth. But in doing so, we had expanded to over 20 locations and the number of types of projects we were working on, probably the most unique project demographic there is in the ENR, say, top 50, you know, for the last decade, that would be true because of the amount of small projects and the number of sectors we work in, you know, when you add in the number of cities and then there's all these large national accounts, we're a very, very diverse and almost complicated company if you haven't been here your whole career. And I think we have all recognized in the past five or so years the need to take this data that we have. We've got an enormous amount of data and organize it so we can get a lot more value back out of our data, whether it's the artificial intelligence, the predictive analytics that we wish we had, but it's also the idea sharing and the knowledge sharing across the platform. So our merger acquisition strategy, our growth strategy with these new firms that have joined the family in the past five years is that we very much want them to not change a single thing about their culture, their brand intact 100%, their management teams intact 100%. All that is critically important to us. But in doing so, we want to make sure that our platforms, our systems, we can all talk technologically and, and digitally in a very seamless manner. So we've got to integrate these companies. We're really working hard at doing that. But it's, it's challenged us to consider what are the best tools for the future STO building group, not just the current one. And at the same time, we have hundreds of these startups that are coming out with some great ideas and how we can become even more efficient and more productive and create better dashboards and creating more truth and data. So the opportunity is really what's motivating and driving us right now as I sit here. The opportunity becomes so much more intelligent and have the smart systems really make our people more scalable and you know sharing knowledge across this type of platform 
just empowers people. And it creates an excitement as well. Uh, this year, we'll have our first big hackathon. And it's all these little events that we're now able to have as an organization where the ideas are not only going to be just that much more exciting because of our size, but we're structured now to invest in these ideas and partner with the outside world around us to bring ideas, even maybe commercialize some of our great ideas. So timing has never been better. But we also have never needed some of these innovation changes more than we do now. So I'm excited about the future and where this is going. So, you know, Jimmy, you talk about data. And I think it's really, you know, people kind of you know, say to me, you know, who've known that I've been in this industry a long time, you know, why now? And when you think about the last 10 years, we have digitized our business. It wasn't that long ago that we were still, you know, paper and vellum, right? And over the last 10 years, everything has started to be digitized, not just our deliverables from a design standpoint, even our concepts, you know, we're using parametric modeling and other tools. And, and if you look at in the construction world, you can talk to all the opportunities where you collect this data now, whether it's imagery, videos, or just the data that as people tap in on their iPads where they used to be putting it down on a clipboard. So all this data is at a moment now that it's all there. And what we're finally recognizing is the data is what we can share. And it's not, yeah, sure, there's some data that is proprietary. It can give you a, an advantage. But in all honesty, the real advantage for, for the industry is when we share that data and we drive things like efficiency of design or safety in the field. All of that stuff is data we can share and drives the industry together. I think the firms that are going to kind of win the race are the ones who are first to embrace the digitization and efficient use of that data. But I think the sharing of the data is the thing that's going to finally change our industry from a siloed industry to an industry where people look at it and go, wow, that's, you know, that's an innovative force for change. And so that's why, you know, to me, the AEC angels and the kind of conversations we're having, because it's not just about let's keep it among the four of us. It's like, how do we how do we get all these firms to to share their data and use these tools so that we're all out there driving the industry together? Tom, you, you hit the nail on the head. The, the mention of the AEC angel group that's going to have the biggest impact in five years, we'll look back and say it was this piece that made all the difference in the world and, and justifies any investment we made in resources or our funds is taking down the silos. So just one quick example, and this is something we've discussed before, you know, the design phase where the contractor is kind of only invited up for certain pieces where, you know, okay, provide the schedule, provide a budget and step back out again. And not literally, but it almost feels that way where we're not truly adding the value that's now going to be possible. If the digitization continues the way we see it continuing in the supply chain and those barriers are broken down and the major manufacturers and suppliers see us as absolute partners working on a single platform together, the data we now provide upstream in the design phase, embedding data alongside your team and all the design teams, you know, we truly are working together and putting the data in the places where it belongs the most, you know, allowing our client team to make decisions that much better and faster. The inefficiencies really happen in the construction cycle from, from design through construction and turnover is the lack of information to make faster decisions. So imagine finishing design 100% and the supply chain still doesn't know what's going on. It's almost, it can, it's almost comical. Um, and I, you can see around the corner a little bit. It's not maybe right on the horizon, but it's, it's, it's out there. It's right around the corner. And it's the AC Angel type of group that's going to help solve far faster by being really engaged in the market uh, with the VCs and these IT startups and not letting them just kind of figure this out on their own, but helping them understand the tools that we want and they can partner with us as a group to figure out how to 
digitize the supply chain, embed the data up front, put us all on the same page from the day one of the planning right through the turnover, and then for the life cycle of the property. Why not stay together the whole way through? It's all digitized and implanted together. You know, why all these silos? It, it's interesting time. Somebody's going to listen to this podcast in 20 years and say, you were doing what before we digitized everything? It's going to be hard to believe that we did it this way. And I think our recent history points, you know, I, 10 years ago when we were talking about full adoption of BIM and delivering BIM models directly to the downstream user, whether that be the steel fabricator or the curtain wall, we really were, we were kind of out there on our own uh, with a very small group of other firms that were pushing it. And I used to make the argument, you know, this is crazy. I spend most of my career where I'm sitting there in my head. I see everything in 3D. I see all the challenges of the design. Then I dumb it down in 2D, hand it to a contractor, and we argue about the, the interpretation of that 2D, what's in my head versus the piece of paper versus what they have to build. And why would you not give them the full view of what was in your head and, or as close to that as possible? And I think that's, that's already changed the relationship between engineers, architects, and contractors because that visualization and the data is there. The next phase, which you're talking about is and I see it already. If I'm in schematic or DD and I can in real time get information about pricing, not just from somebody who's using their 40 years of saying, well, you know, in the old days, somebody would say, well, there's 60 drawings. I think it costs this much. Right. We're getting to the point now where we could get real input on, you know, the whether it's steel connection cost or, or materiality in real time in schematic and DD. So when we do finally get to a point where contractors and others are selected, we're not arguing about you know, whether or not we were right or wrong you know, about the pricing or the complexity. It was something that was tracked all along collaboratively and teams get selected for their expertise, not because they could underbid because there's a misinterpretation on one end or the other. When we can end that, we can completely change the way that our industry works, the efficiency of it. Uh, and, and I think it's, you know, it's starting to happen, but the next 10 years, I think is gonna really be even more transformative than the last 10 years. Yeah, and Tom, just to add another dimension, which is the story where we truly are becoming partners and the expertise is where we're valued more than mistakes or information that's not understood well enough. The, the expertise and the value adds truly where the focus is, but we believe right around the corner. So imagine this dimension is added to the storyline where the uh, manufacturers and suppliers around the world understand who their clients truly are. They can see all the way end to end and the clients can see back all the way back to the factory floor. You know, where's my product truly coming from? And be able to stand in front with the client team, the contractor, the designer, um, understanding the purchasing power of our clients. You know, the number of units being bought from carrier or train, you know, and to change the conversation with some of the manufacturers at the factory level. And instead of all these layers of markup, and I'm not saying that it's all about just savings as much as it's about efficiency and partnering, because ultimately, if we can be viewed for who we truly are in the marketplace, in our case, as a major contractor buyer and expert, we would like to see the conversation change even with the manufacturers, where our teams are invited in to have discussions about these units that are being fabricated, manufactured, you know, the new models and, and bring our clients with us and have conversations about the needs of the client and the ongoing operations of the client and how that can interpolate into a better unit. And we can bulk buy differently based on the true needs of our clients and have an ongoing relationship. We don't, as a contractor, always need to be there between client and manufacturer, but we certainly want to be there for where it adds value. But today, the, the relationship is really broken down because of the digitization that hasn't fully occurred yet. But we are working right now on understanding every single 
product, every screw and widget we buy, we're going to know those numbers soon. It's you know it's going to take a while. We've got you know systems that have to still be built because the marketplace doesn't provide systems and tools to be able to break down estimating in a way where we can then quantify all the purchasing that's being done by client or by region or by product type. It's really done transactionally by trade. This way the industry works today. So that's going to once that's broken down and and all the little pieces are known and understood and digitized, put that into the design partnering that we just talked about. And I think about the empowering we would have for the big players in the market and for our clients, the efficiencies that we would gain. It's, it's pretty exciting. I'd rather be 25 years old right now for what's coming down the pike. For, for a lot of reasons, right, Jim? <laughs> but, you know, it's exciting. And, and you know, we, we look at the direct benefits, but you know, we're also looking at a world in which we're finally facing things like climate change and we're looking at the next big challenge of embodied carbon. And you talk about the <laughs> supply chain, you know, you need the transparency of understanding where the materials come from. Is there a more efficient way to reduce the footprint and reduce embodied carbon? Think about it. Just 10 years ago, how much more difficult it would have been to actually have a rational analysis of what is the embodied carbon, the impact of a design or of a renovation or anything else. And to your point, as we start to look at where suppliers come from, you know, where we are, you know, what is what is the whole uh, supply chain look like and how can we optimize that? It's not just we can optimize it for a whole bunch of levers. It can be cost. It can be efficiency. It can be speed, but it can also be environmental impact as well. And it needs to be that. And, and all of those parameters are there. Those are all dials that can be looked at now and can be transparently looked at in our industry. So I think we have a huge leadership role now and we capture and control that data. This can't just be about four firms, and it isn't. It's got to be about the whole industry, and that's the exciting part. And I, like you just said, I, you know, I, I wish I was 25 just because I, it's an industry that, to me, will be a lot more exciting than even the industry that I came into, which clearly I was excited as an engineer, but, but I think the industry wasn't as exciting as what it's going to be over the next 25 years. Couldn't say it better, Tom. Corporate social responsibility of all of our firms has really evolved and the needs of the world around us today has changed quite a bit. And um, I just think that in the future, as we're gathering data, it's going to be based on not just price and schedule and quality. It's got to have all these other dimensions to it, even diversity and inclusion and things of that nature. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this all turns out in 10 or 15 years as I'm waving goodbye to the industry, sadly. At some point, right? We can't go on forever. But like I said, there's a lot of 25 and 30-year-olds. The ones that are in this company, our company, and I'm sure in yours as well, Tom, they're just brilliant. And they're simply smarter than we were when we were at their age. And they're getting educated and experiential training is occurring for them so much faster than it did back in the 80s and the 90s when we were growing and learning. So they're just going to they're gonna knock it out of the park. This is going to be a great industry. I don't think we're going to be sitting on the bottom rung of that chart of industries that are learning how to adapt and change any longer. I think we're going to really uh, move up that chart fast. That demographic is demanding it, right? And they're, they're not just demanding that we be innovative. They're demanding that we have a positive impact on society. They've grown up in an era where that was top of mind for them. And it's exciting to see them come to maturity and you know live up to the things that we told them as parents. And they're actually turning it into action about how to, you know, taking care of the environment and driving equity and inclusion and diversity. And so it's exciting to see. And it's exciting to see that this is an area where our industry could lead rather than follow. Thanks for listening to STO Building Conversations. 
Tune in next week for part two of the conversation with Tom Scarangello and Jim Donahue as they dive deeper into where they see the biggest potential for innovation in the AEC space.